It's the Son of a Butch podcast. We come to you every Wednesday. I am your host, Claude Harmon. This week's guest, Scott Vincent, been playing the last two years on Live, and I think it's one of the kind of cool, feel-good stories. Um, here's a guy that was playing the Japan tour, had status in Asia, uh, won a tournament, got into the first Live event in London last year, and has spent the last two years playing his golf on Live. But I think there have been so many stories and so much stuff written about money and excess and all of this stuff, but I think Scott's story is 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 one of the stories that doesn't get talked about a lot. Didn't have big-time status and wanted to try and use Live as an opportunity to play in better tournaments and play against some of the best players in the world, and that's what he's done. He had a breakout year this, this year. He'll be playing on Live next year. So um, he has a very unique story on how he got to professional golf from Zimbabwe. But before we get to that, I want to talk about our friends at AG1. If you're a regular listener to the pod, you know that I've been drinking AG1 for about a year now. Why did I start doing that? I really wanted to try and, and work on my my wellness, um, my eating habits. And as soon as I started drinking AG1 daily, I noticed a massive, massive spike in my energy levels. Why? That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2001, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline help. Listen, I've talked about this. I travel an enormous amount. I'm probably on the road over 20 weeks a year. It's hard for me to have the same kind of fitness and um, you know wellness regimen that I have when I'm at home, and that's what AG1 has really done for me. Because I've said this before, I don't I don't eat a lot of vegetables. Um, I should, but since e- trying out AG1, it's it's made a massive massive difference, and it's something that I think you can do as well. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. That's what I do. Take it on the road with me. Go to drinkag1.com backslash ch3. That's drinkag1.com backslash ch3. Check it out if you want to improve your daily health and fitness regimen. So let's get to a really, really cool interview with Scott Vincent. I really enjoyed it, and I think you will too. Scott let me see if I've got this straight. Born in Zimbabwe, live in Colorado. Up until two years ago, you were playing on the Japan tour. Um, there are there are strange journeys that people get on to play this game, but competitively, and you played golf, uh, college golf, Virginia Tech. So you've been kind of all over the place, spent some time on the Asian tour, and the last two years you've spent on live. But um, the journey to get to where you are now, um, Zimbabwe, Believe it or not, a, a rich history of, of Nikki Price, one of the greats of professional golf, 
How did you get out of Zimbabwe and first of all, get to Virginia Tech? Well, you got to start there. Hey, yeah. I mean, Nick Price had a huge influence in Zimbabwe golf and I was part of his academy growing up. And that, that pay, played a huge part in my development coming through. Um, amazing coach called Roger Bayless, um, who, who helped get us all started. And just one of those guys that did it for the love of the game. He didn't care that he made nothing from it. He was just happy to pour into and yeah, help help get all the fundamentals right, help help develop us young kids coming through and just anyone that had a passion and was willing to work, he was happy to give the time. So a huge, I give a lot of credit for him and getting my career going. Um, from there, there was a connection with Virginia Tech. So I was probably the fifth Zimbabwean to go there. Um, Brendan DeYoung is one of oh, the yeah, yeah. better known guys that went there, uh, but uh, the McDonald brothers, myself, Sean Farrell was another one, but um, yeah, Brendan's obviously the the top guy that made it from Virginia Tech onto the PGA and had an amazing career. Um, and so that was kind of the connection. But how I got scouted was through the Orange Bowl that happens every year in December. Okay. Um, just a great spot for international kids to come and play and get some exposure and see or college coaches come down and have a look. And so that's where the coach um, saw me and um, obviously liked what he saw and wanted me to come out. Was it a big, big move to come from Zim to Virginia Tech? Because, I mean, that is a long, I mean, South Africa's a long way away. Zimbabwe's can almost seem like it's even further away. Um, was there a little culture shock when you got to, to, to play college golf? You're playing Division One. you're playing in a big program. You know, Virginia Tech has a massive athletic program as well. Um, did it take you a while to get adjusted? It was a huge shift. Um, the culture, the food, the the people, um, just how they studied as well. Like I, I never had a computer growing up, so everything's done on a computer. So I got my first computer, had to learn how to type, spent the first year basically just trying to figure out how to use this thing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I mean, college was amazing. Like, like you said, Virginia Tech has a huge athletic program. Um, and, and obviously golf has been fairly successful too. Um, but yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, I, I loved I loved every moment that I had at Virginia Tech. And funny story because it ties in with live golf is my very first college tournament was at Rich Harvest Farms. Okay, yeah, the Lives played there the last two years. Played there the last two years, and um, obviously coming from Zimbabwe, where the courses are very different, to playing this course, which is a really strong big golf course that can host a major. You know, essentially, um, I remember coming off uh, that tournament, calling my dad and saying, I don't think I'm good enough to play college golf. Maybe I should come home. Maybe because of the golf course? Because of the golf course, yeah. It was just so big and I hadn't played a golf course like that where you're not hitting wedge into every single hole. It's like now you're hitting four, five, six irons or woods into holes. And um, it was just something that I... And even now as a professional, you play that course and you have a bit of respect for it because of how tough it can play. So funny that then we go back and play it as a live player now. And it, okay, it feels a little bit different because you've gotten used to the style and uh, your prep works different. Maybe you developed a bit more as a player. And yeah, it's just kind of done a full circle, which is quite funny. So you turned pro in 2015. Did you go to Q school and the, the, the usual routes that everybody tries to take? You try and go, you try to get on the PGA Tour. If you don't get on the PGA Tour, you're trying to get on Corn Fair. Corn Ferry, go to Europe Asia, what was, which qualifiers and qualifying schools did you go to? Yeah, so first off, I wanted to do the typical route, go through Corn Ferry, um, went to Q School, got through, I think, 
pre-qualifying then didn't get through first and so it's like now what and so i was playing a bit of mini tour stuff and picked up very quickly that this is not what i wanted to do and just or not play on mini tours i needed to play a full season somewhere and just by chance a buddy reached out to me and said hey we're going to do asian tour q school you should consider it um and i was like nah i want to be in america you know i've spent time in america that's where the best are i want to i want to be out here I was like, okay, well, I've got nothing else to do in January. Let me go and give it a shot. Go win first stage and finish fourth in the final stage of Q School. Full tour card now. And playing out there, um, amazing players, huge culture change as well. Out of your comfort zone. And very different. I mean, Asia, I think out of all of the tours, Scott, probably has the most diverse types of golf courses, types of grass, types of conditions that you're complaining. I mean, to me, the knock on the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour has always been that I think the golf is very similar, right? right? You're always going to play in pretty good conditions. You're always going to play in pretty good weather. And back in the day, when I, when I started playing, um, you know, started working and working with players, I, I went to work on the European tour. Yeah. And Trevor Immelman was, yeah, I've had him on the podcast. He's one of my good friends. Trevor was the first person I worked with. But back then, it was Trevor, Adam Scott, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter. They were choosing Europe as a way to kind of cut their teeth. And I thought the same thing. Again, Europe, you're going to have to learn how to travel. You're going to have to learn a lot of different golf courses, different weather conditions. But Asia is a completely different kind of, that's a whole nother, like you said, the culture shock of the travel the culture shock of the food. There is there is so much more, I think, to being a competitive professional golfer and making it than what people think it is. And I think one of the great things about going and playing time, I mean, Brooks Kepka, um, Brooks played in, in, in Europe. He didn't take the traditional route. He missed in the US, didn't get his US card, missed European tour school, and then got onto the challenge tour. What do you feel like those type of experiences did for you and how have they helped your development, not only as a player, Scott, but as a person as well? Yeah, I think it has a huge impact. Um, it just, it opens your mind up um, and you, you, you play against different people with different styles. And like you said, the foods and stuff are just nothing that we're used to in America. And, um, and to be honest, like, I love it. I, I miss it at times. The camaraderie of of the tour it's it's one of the friendliest tours i've played on but like you said you know you, you're playing on on golf courses where you you have no idea what you're going to it could be perfectly fine and pristine amazing or it could be one of the worst golf courses you've ever gone to but regardless of that it was you know i'm here for a reason i've got to figure that out i've got, I've got to come play my best give my best effort and um, and learn something and, and and try and put a good result in and so that that was the cool part of that is that we all did that together. We all kind of jumped on similar flights, off we went, stayed in random places, who knows where, and just got on with it. There wasn't much to complain about, and we just we just kind of plodded along. That's we were all in the same boat, which was cool. You know, there weren't these big names or little names. It was we were all doing the same thing. And yeah, that what that does is it just develops you as a person, as a player. Um, you you learn a lot about yourself and. Um, it develops your game. Of course, you're going to learn different shots, different different ways to play. And um, Asia Asia really helped with that. And and through Asia, you know, I got access to the European Tour as well. And you Rookie of the Year in 2016 on the Asian Tour. So you come out of college, 
you miss where you want to play. Everybody wants to play on the PGA Tour. Everybody wants to play in America. That's where the best players play. But you say, okay, I'm got So a lot of players, I think, Scott, that I find interesting is they don't do what you do. Their dream is to go, okay, I want to play the PGA Tour. Um, I don't make it on the PGA Tour. Okay, I want to play the Corn Ferry. And if you don't meet those two targets and those two goals, then I've seen so many players say, okay, well, everything now is 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 a come down right? Everything now is kind of, it's kind of beneath me because I thought I was better than this and I really don't want to be. And I see a lot of players then go, they get status somewhere else, but because they didn't get status where they wanted to, they struggle because it's almost like they self-sabotage. They, they were like, well, I'm too good to be here. So I'm actually not going to go out and do what you did is, okay, I'm in Asia now. I want to play in America. I want to play on the PJ Tour. But what you did was you went out and you became, you're rookie of the year in 2016. So you go and have a really good, solid opening year of professional golf. What do you feel like that first year on the Asian tour where you were rookie of the year? What did you learn about yourself? And what was the jump from, okay, I played college golf, played four, were you there for four years? Yep. So four years, college golf, division one. So you know how to travel, you know how to do all of the stuff. But then you go and you don't have the success that you wanted to have on, you know, by getting onto the PGA Tour, getting on the Corn Ferry. You go to Asia. You weren't planning even to go to Asia. Then you go out. You get through first stage. You win. You win first stage. Yep. Win first stage, and then basically finish top five. So now you're fully exempt. What do you feel like was the jump from college golf to professional golf that you kind of noticed and went, okay? This is different now. Is it or is it just golf? And you go into the mindset of saying, listen, even though this is Asian tour, it's just golf. It, I mean, in the simplest form it is, right? It is just golf. But I think from a personal level, you have to start owning it yourself. It's like, okay, here's where I'm at. What's the best I can do with where I'm at? And how am I going to get to those big dreams that I have? Obviously, the plan A didn't work out. But as we know, like as we've seen with so many other players, there's so many different ways to get to get back there and different journeys develop different people differently. And um, <clears throat> mine's been a little bit different in that I've gone through Asia, tried a bit in Europe, that didn't work out so great, come back to Asia, gone to Japan. But it's it's just been a cool journey of just me learning more about who I am and um, what I am like as a player and how I can continue to figure out ways to uh, optimize that and be better. And um, yeah, like like you said, that first year, I mean, it's quite a few years ago. I'm trying to remember a little bit more of it, but obviously that was a, a validating moment in my career. It's like, okay, yeah, we, you know, we came to college, we, we figured that out. Um, okay, we were good enough for college golf. Now it's, now it's another level up. You know, not many people get to chase their dreams at the professional level and you don't know if you're going to be good enough. Obviously you have big dreams and you want to be good enough and you, you're dreaming of winning majors and playing on the, at the highest stage, but is that going to be a reality? You're not sure. And so going to Asian tour, uh, maybe getting rookie of the year was a little validation. It's like, okay, good. That was great. Now, how do we move on from that? And continue to look at ways to improve and get better. One of the few Western players that played in Japan, there's the Asian tour, which is crazy onto itself. And then there's an entire another world, which is golf in Japan. And uh, for people that don't know, it's hard 
to find a country more obsessed with golf than they are in Japan. And the Japanese tour is very, very specific. And then you go into a completely another cultural shock of the food. Um, In Japan, if you don't speak Japanese, it's a struggle. Um, You've got to get yourself around. How many years did you play on the Japanese tour? So I did um, two full seasons out there. Obviously, I got a little messed up with COVID and how that all works. So two and a half, something like that. And I still have full status out there. Um, But honestly, Japan's one of my favorite countries. Like once you kind of figure out the little things and how to move around, and it's one of the simplest, most amazing, love the culture. The food's amazing. Love so many things about it. It's one country and it's it's big, but it's small. And so the travel in and around that is just incredible. And I'm excited to be going back there in a, in a week's time to go and play some golf. You go back? Which, which tournaments are you playing? So I'm going to play the, there's one called the ABC, ABC event. Um, and then two weeks later, I'm playing Dunlop Phoenix. Dunlop Phoenix, 50th anniversary of the Dunlop Phoenix. Brooks is going. Brooks is going, Brooks yes. is going. He's, he's won it twice. Yeah. Um, what's, pl- what's playing a golf in Japan like? on tour because obviously you're not japanese there's a language barrier um golf course i love the look of the golf courses japan that dormant to where everything is burnt out and then the greens and the tees are bright bright green i'd love the way some of the golf courses in japan look like yeah they're they're pristine like they take so much pride in doing everything 100 percent. some of the best greens i've putted on and played on um their courses are incredible and so it to me, I loved it because it felt like, right, this is kind of a slightly um, smaller version of the PGA Tour. And so... Good conditions. Great conditions. Yeah. You know, tons of people watching. So you're getting used to the crowd. Tons of television, big stars in Japan. I mean, the, 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 the players in Japan that are good are rock stars in Japan. Phenomenal. I yeah. mean, they are... I mean, and it's interesting that you said that because I... Out of all of the tours, and it's funny, Adam Scott has said today, Scotty loves going to Japan, yeah. right? I mean, obviously, the Uniqlo thing now, it helps. But Scotty's always gone and played in Japan. And it's interesting that you mentioned that playing professional golf in Japan is probably the closest you can get yeah. to playing on the PGA Tour because the crowds are huge. There's television every week. There are big superstars. All the manufacturers have trucks everybody's logoed up it's so i I never thought about that but that playing in japan is probably as close to being on the pga tour from an experience as a player as you can get absolutely yeah and so seeing that and tasting it's like this is perfect this is amazing preparation for where i'm trying to get to and just loved it you know japan's an amazing place you got your first win in 2021 yes do you remember it yes what was different? So you get your first really, that's your big, that's your first big professional win. Yeah. I always ask players, did you need to play as good as you thought you did to win your first tournament? Or was the experience different? Because I think so many players, Scott, feel like the only way they're going to win golf tournaments is just to come in all guns blazing, right. shoot four rounds in the 60s, and it's just going to be this, or I'm going to shoot 63 on Sunday, right. or do something special. Was the experience afterwards, did you have this kind of thought process saying, okay, 
that wasn't as hard as I thought it was. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. You, you, you build it up so much in your mind and you think it has to be absolutely perfect. And I found that a lot of times, just golf in general, there's always a testing point at some point during the round. And which way is that going to swing? Are you going to let it swing in your favor or against? Because you're going to get tested at some point. Obviously, the nerves and everything and deal, like that's all that's all part of it. But at some point during the round, you're going to face something that's really uncomfortable, really challenging, really difficult. And what are you going to do with that? Are you going to let it linger and affect the way that you're going to finish the day? Or are you just, this is all part of the process. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. It was just, it was just one of those days where the whole experience and just being in that was just incredible. Obviously, the golf kind of followed and I did play really good golf. Yeah, it was, it was cool. I had to make a six footer on the last hole to win it and couldn't really feel the putter. I was so nervous and, and stroked it and I went in and it was, it was amazing. And my wife was there. And so we, we had a special moment together, but um, yeah, it was like you said, it, it wasn't like I had to play absolutely perfect golf. It was just, I had to be there. I just had to experience it. I just had to do my thing and almost get out of the way and just let it happen. Wanted to take a moment and thank our partners at Rapsodo. If you've been listening to the pod, you know that I'm a big fan of their launch monitors and I really like the MLM. It utilizes Doppler radar, so you can use it with your iPhone or your iPad. And the thing I like about this, it's under $300, right? So a lot of the launch monitor technology out there, a little bit more expensive. And I, and I think launch monitor technology is getting you know cheaper and cheaper because Different companies like Rapsodo are saying, okay, how can we help the regular golfers? Yes, if you've got thousands upon thousands of dollars, there are different models you can buy. You see them on tour. But for the everyday golfer that's just trying to get better, you're going to get remarkable accuracy. You can use this indoor or outdoor. It's portable. And the cool thing is, so the shot tracer that we're used to seeing on, t on TV behind all the players shows you the shape of the shot. The MLM has that, has performance combines. And again, as I mentioned earlier, under $300. I, I, I just think if you're trying to get better at your golf, having this type of technology for this price allows you to look at a lot of the same numbers that the best players in the world are looking at. So obviously I work with players that are winning majors, winning tournaments, play all over the world. But when I'm not on tour, I work with regular everyday golfers and I'm always trying to figure out ways that they can get better. And I think for under $300, you can use it with your iPhone. It doesn't really take that much to set up. It's simple to use and you're going to get really, really good feedback and you're going to understand your numbers better. They've reacted my promo code just for listeners, use promo code CH3 for $50 off the MLM plus the premier membership bundle. The membership unlocks combines as well as session insights, slow motion replay, and video storage up to 10,000 videos. So again, the promo code is CH3 for $50 off the MLM launch monitor, plus the premium membership bundle. Rapsodo is making fantastic products. I'm a huge fan. Check them out. They can help you with your game. When you get your first win as a professional, right, what does that do for you mentally? Because you've been basically, your entire life has been about that moment, right? And you've built it up and you've thought about it and you've done all these things to make sure it happened. When it finally happens, what's that experience like for you personally? Do you just kind of go, do you exhale? Is it validation? What is it? It. I think at that time it did feel like a, 
a sigh of relief. It's like, man, I've, I've knocked on this door so many times and it hasn't opened and finally, you know, but I think over the years or a few years on, it's just like this, this game that we're chasing is just so fickle. It like comes and goes and comes and goes. And it's like, if, if everything's about winning or losing, it's just, it's, that just seems pointless to me. And so, um, what I'm trying to do is make this more about the person I'm becoming, you know, who am I becoming as a player and as a person. Um, and so that's how I'm trying to judge it more now. Um, whereas back then it was all about winning because, you know, for the longest time, who's the longest person that's finished top 10 almost every single week and hasn't won, you know, that everyone said Scott Vincent. But, and so it was, it was just nice to get past that and put that to bed and just move on with me becoming the person I'm becoming. And you won three times in Japan. You won a tournament that qualified you to get into the, the Open Championship in 2022. Yeah. And then, so you go through, like you said, you go through COVID and then you go, and then not out of nowhere, but live happens. Yeah. And we have heard so much over the last two years about the money aspect of live, all of this stuff, all these guys getting the bag, all that you're one of the guys that is the opposite end of the spectrum from the Brooks, the DJs, the Brysons, who all got a boatload of money, who all made a decision that a lot of people think was largely based on money. Your journey to live was through the international series, which lived did a partnership with the Asian tour to try and have an opportunity for players coming out of Asia to get to live and you won what i think it was the week before the first tournament in london you won uh an international series event which qualified you i remember i mean you you were you were thrown in um first year on live three different teams but the first tournament that live has in london i was there first tees packed they throw you out with yeah dj and phil <laughs> incredible <laughs> it's like who's this guy <laughs> that's what i'm thinking as well i can imagine what everyone else is thinking so just yeah amazing like for me live came out of absolutely nowhere i had i was playing in japan and i thought let's go play this one london live it's a much it's it's a nice purse it's it's in london my sister lives well outside of london my sister lives there and win that and it's like oh you're heading to the live event next week i'm like okay cool what's that <laughs> And so, yeah, it just came out of nowhere. Um, was the decision to say, okay, I've got onto a live event. I can play all eight this year. Was that a big decision? Because I think so many people that are listening, we've heard so much on both sides, right? We've heard the tour side of things. We've heard live side of things. I actually think people are tired of hearing about it, right? right. Because at the end of the day, it's golf, right? But not everybody... Not everybody chose to go to live and it was a money grab. For you, I talked to Wade Ormsby about this as well, who's one of the live resort. It's an opportunity for me to play and somewhat try and climb up the ladder that guys like DJ and Brooks and Bryson and Phil, they don't have to climb up the ladder now. There were times at their career that they did, but there were a lot of guys that I think went to live that have gotten tarnished with this brush that you're a sellout. So you're just looking for a place to play and trying to find a tour where you can get a foothold, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, one of the things is that we we want to play against the best in the world. And like, 
in Asia and Japan, we don't we don't get to see these guys very often. A couple times a year, like you said, Dunlop Phoenix, there might be maybe Ricky Fowler comes over. There's maybe one superstar from the US. Sure, yeah. But a lot Liv gets beat up because everybody says it was worthless, it was worthless, it was worthless. But as a player, you're looking at the caliber of players that have come over to live and you're like, wait a minute, I can go play with multiple major champions. And currently, when live happened last year, you're looking at playing against arguably one of, if not the best player in the world at the time, Cam Smith, when Cam finally came over and decided to play. DJ, Brooks, Bryson, Phil, Matt Wolf, all of these guys, you have this opportunity to say, listen, I don't get an opportunity. I, I can't get on a tour like this unless I qualify for the PGA Tour. Even Europe now, unless it's the, the Middle East swing, you just don't get that quality of people. So I know a lot of people think, oh, the live fields are bullshit and the players aren't any good. But somebody like you, you're looking at that going, this is an opportunity of a lifetime for me to play against some of the best players in the world. And then they throw you out in the first one and you get paired with... Phil, who's won six majors, and you get paired with DJ, who's arguably... I mean, Phil's... He and Tiger are the best players of his generation. DJ's one of the top five best players of his generation and is a superstar. What was that experience like for you? Because you're Scott Vincent from Zimbabwe that lives in Colorado that plays on the Japanese tour, and then you've got Phil and DJ who both flew over on $50 million airplanes. I mean, there's a big difference between what you're doing and what they're doing. Yeah. I, like I said, for me, it came out of absolute nowhere. Um, I was just playing a Asian door event the week before. And next thing I know, I'm paired with Phil and DJ and I'm like, how is this even happening? Like, why is this happening to me? I'd happily just play off hole 16 somewhere and just carry on. But that, like looking back that experience is just invaluable you can't you can't put a price tag on that like to hit that first tee shot with them to play the way i did i actually had an amazing day and i played really well i think i shot three or four under that day which was incredible under the circumstances and to rub shoulders with these two guys that i've only ever seen on tv i haven't seen them in person before and like just just the whole thing was so cool was it hard not to fanboy it right and focus on your own game because all of a sudden you're playing with one of the greatest players of the modern generation in phil mickelson who's won you know so many major champions i mean he's an icon of the sport and then dj you know everything about dj how far he hits it the swag the whole thing is it hard in that situation when you get thrown into a group like that in a big tournament to focus on them and not focus on you because you're like, man, I get to watch Phil Mickelson's short game today up close. I get to watch Dustin Johnson in a real tournament drive it up close. Right? Is it hard to say, okay, I've got to stay focused on myself? Because like you said, a lot of people go out into that situation and play terrible. Right. And just go, listen, the situation was really big for me. It's a big tournament. I've never played in a tournament this big. And then they pair me with, you know, former world number one and two-time major champion and, you know, Phil Mickelson. That's, that's not easy. No, it, yeah, it was, it was something. Um, just, I think it, for me in that moment, I was getting very self-conscious. So actually I was thinking more about myself and how I was going to look in front of them, <laughs> which I wish I was more of, Hey, we get to watch this up close and up front. Cause I think that's a better approach to learning and watching and, and, and trying to take in as much. But 
yeah once we got going and through a, a couple of holes you know i, I it's I, golf it's just golf and you settle right into it and and the hard part that i tell players like yourself all the time that are new in that situation it's always the same thing you're worried about what they're going to think about the way you play and i tell guys this all the time they don't give a shit about you right. they couldn't care if you shot 62 or 80 and that's not that's not being rude about them or rude about you they just they don't care they're focused on trying to play and i think a lot of guys in your situation you get into that situation where you get paired with tiger you get paired with rory and and you know you're like oh i don't want to embarrass myself and i don't want to look bad in front of them they don't they couldn't care less about your game and that's hard to think like that but you have to think like that to be great you have to not worry about other people and not care how they play yeah yeah it's funny because like i'll go and play a pro-am with someone and that's exactly what they're thinking about me like i'm worried about them and you how they look at less you're worried about yourself yeah and so that's exactly how us pros do it and i think being out there for this year or two years now you start to realize that a bit more that, that everyone is just kind of locked in on what they're doing and like whether you're shooting 62 or 82 it's like whatever you know we're gonna walk the fairways together and have a conversation and we'll carry on with our did games. they do anything in that round that first round where you were paired with dj and and phil where they hit a shot or did something where you went okay i'm in the show now that's that's different this is a different type of player than than i've been around i mean they are phenomenal players there you, you can't quit dj's ball striking is absolutely incredible like the sound it makes coming off the face is just, it's just different. Yeah. And you don't hear that. Definitely not in Asia because they're not built like he is. <laughs> <laughs> and you certainly don't hear that in Japan either. No. Because to play with a player, and, and again, I don't think people, everybody that watches competitive golf thinks that the players are interchangeable, right? The golf that's played in Europe is the similar golf that's played on the PGA Tour, right? There are different players. And if you play in Asia and then play in Japan, you don't see someone like Dustin Johnson, who's six foot four, who hits it the way that you don't see someone like a Rory McIlroy who hits it as far as somebody like Rory hits it. Right. You just don't see that in Asia and you don't see that in Japan. You might see it from a player, but the player isn't really that good. He doesn't have another box of tools in the toolbox. He, yeah, okay, you see players in Asia and Japan that hit it a long way. You don't see players like DJ who hit it a long way that have been number one in the world, that have won multiple major championships like a Rory, like a Phil, like these icons of the game. And so when you see somebody like DJ, you just go, does that make you go, Okay, I need to I need to hit it further. I need to get in better shape. Do I need to try? It? I mean, because there is that thing, Scott. When you play, all of a sudden you come from playing Japan and Asia to to live to where you're playing against some of the best players in the world. Do you kind of go? Is it imposter syndrome? Do you're like, oh man, am I supposed to be out here? Am I as good as these guys? Uh, am I going to stick to my own game, or am I now going to try and do something that I can't do that isn't me? Right. Yeah, I think I think it's only human nature to kind of go that way a little bit and and start comparing yourself to everyone else and it, and I found at least for me it's just so deadly. Like if I start comparing, like why why can't I wedge it like uh, Cameron Smith or 
or putt like Cameron, or putt Smith, like Cameron Smith or or <laughs> I mean he does so many things really well and it's just like you can get into this hole where it's like I'm I'm not good and then you start forgetting what you do well um and so yes th there's a time and a place for picking things that they do and asking them questions and and trying to absorb as much information and maybe learn a shot or two but at the same time I think it's really important to also realize what you do and kind of stick to your game plan and your way that you operate around the golf course um and keep that kind of close to home um because I, I've, I've gone both ways and, and disappeared off down a rabbit hole where it's like i'm just not built to do that or i don't understand how to do that now maybe down the road i will but just no so let me not compromise everything that i'm doing just to try and figure out something that someone else is doing so that comparison thing is is i've got to be very careful of that but you can definitely learn a lot. So three live teams last year. You were on Torque. Yep. You were on... Um, I was on Ironheads, I believe, at one Ironheads. point. And then I think I started on Smash, but she won was the captain for Smash back yeah. then or something like that. That was before Brooks came. Before Brooks came, yeah. So now we cut to the chase. 2023, you go to the Ironheads. Kevin Na, Siwon Kim, yourself, Danny Lee. $4.7 million this year. I and mean, if I'd have told you last year, Scott, that right. you were going to have the year that you've had on live this year, because I don't think, again, yes, there's a lot of money that live and the Saudis have been brought into professional golf. And yes, you can make the argument that guys like DJ and Brooks and Phil and Bryson, that they didn't need that kind of money anyway, because they'd already had these amazing careers and they were already multimillionaires and stuff like that. That was not the case for you. Right, you're not flying around net jets every week. You're not building, you know, twenty thousand square foot houses. Right, that's not the golf world that you live in. So to have this opportunity to come, to make almost five million dollars this year, to be a full year on a live team, regardless of which side of the fence people are that are listening, that whether they're pro live, anti live, your experience and what did you like about the opportunity and what did you feel was different about the live opportunity that was different than having full status on the Asian tour that was different than having full status in Japan. How was the experience different for people that are listening that, that haven't, haven't been a part of it? Yeah, I think, I think for me, the biggest thing is that it, it, it's completely out of my comfort zone. Like I've, I understand Asia, I understand Japan and there's a comfort level to that. This, this whole live thing for me as a player and a person is it's very uncomfortable because it's new territory. Yeah, you're playing in the US, you're playing big tournaments Huge outside tournament. the US, you're playing probably in front of more people than yeah. you normally play from. I mean, they get big, big crowds in Japan. Yeah. But and the courses and the style of courses and, and just how demanding it is, just off the tee into the green, on the greens, around the greens. Um it was just more about, am I going to embrace this or am I going to kind of shy away from it? And so we, we've been working really hard and just trying to embrace these moments because as a player and as a person, you're going to face these things that make, make you feel very uncomfortable throughout your life. And I think this year more than ever, I've, I've embraced some of that a little bit more and just kind of faced it, um, which doesn't guarantee that you're going to pull it off and do it perfectly fine, but it's going to help you down the road. Um, and so this this year was just facing a lot of those uncomfortable situations and and, and moments. And um, Saudi, for example, was a hugely uncomfortable week for me. Um, you know, this, yeah. You go into the final individual round or tournament of the year at Live was in Jeddah. Um, the top twenty four guys on Live 
are guaranteed their spot for the following year. And then everybody else kind of goes into this kind of pool of players. Some of the, I mean, listen, I think a lot of people also don't understand the inner workings of Liv. There are players that have multiple year contracts, guys like Brooks, DJ, Phil, they're captains. They've got, they're, They've got contracts for a long time. Someone like yourself, you're on a year-to-year opportunity to try and keep your playing privileges. So for you to finish in Jeddah on Sunday and basically play your way into another year on live is a massive, massive thing for someone like you at this point in your career. Yeah. Yeah, so like I was saying, that day was just very uncomfortable. One of the things that I've tried not to do is look at the scoreboard, look at where I'm at. Um, you know, I felt like I've played really well this year, but looking back, I was around 31st, and 31st to get to 24th is a massive jump that you need to make going into the final event and um, obviously have a great second round where I'm now in the second last group. Um, but again, I don't know where I stand overall, and I don't know what I need to do, and uh, I get pulled into an interview and the first thing they bring up is you sitting right now at 24th position. And I'm like, great. The whole thing that I've been trying to do the whole year just gets compromised right there accidentally. But again, it was perfect for me because then I had to deal with that as well. And so now I know exactly what I need to do and where I need to finish. Now I've got to go play the next day right. and sleep that night and, and, and just deal with everything that comes along with that. So um, that yeah. Saudi golf course is tricky. It's tricky because, um, it's a desert style golf course. So if you hit it offline, you're, you're not going to have a good lie. It's wide open. It's very, very windy. And on Sunday, when you, you shot th- four, under, four yeah. under, it's blowing 20 to 30. And you get out on those holes near the water. 13, it's always howling off the right. There's water right. It's dead left. 16, it's always howling off the left. Um, what did you learn about yourself? Because then your back's up against the wall, right? So then you know exactly what you have to do, right? Okay, so you know that if you, you're on the bubble going into Sunday, so you're the 24th guy. You know that if you're inside the top 24, next year you have full status on layoff, which is a huge opportunity. Right, yeah. For the amount of money they're playing for, uh, for to have another opportunity to play, it's it's massive for someone at this stage of your career coming from where you've come from, right? Coming from the tours that you've come from, playing where you've been playing. So how do you go about that mentally? Because you're trying not to get caught up in the moment. Yeah, yeah, you, you're trying everything you can and um, the moment's there. Like you can't really avoid it. So again, it's just, am I going to embrace this? Am I going to learn from it regardless of how the result comes out or shy away from it? So you know, that night was, it was a tricky night to get good rest. But again, you, you kind of remember in your, your bank of memories that I've played well with not very much sleep. So that's okay. Um, and yeah, we just, I just went into the day exactly like I would treat it any other day, hit my routines, take up half the putting green to do all my putting drills. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, just, just cruise through the routines. Um, and play. And again, I, I don't look at scoreboards or I try not to because um, I find that just gets me caught up in results and all over the place. So I'm just playing and I, I don't really know where I'm at. I just know that this is important right here. So let's let's dial it in. Let's let's hit the best shot that we can. And we're not trying to play safe or, or push or anything. We're just playing golf. 
And so I played amazing like that whole day and like looking back and dissecting that round, it's like the cool thing was, is that under those circumstances, like a few more putts go in and it's like, I'm actually at a chance where I could win. Yeah. You, you, you had a, on the back nine, you had a legit chance to win. I mean, because the margins were so tight, there was only really, there was probably 10 or 15 guys within like one or two shots of the lead. Right. And it was a tough day. Brooks wasn't, he was the leader. He shot zero the day before. He didn't really have his best stuff until late. We made putts when he needed to. Um, do you say to yourself, okay, I've got a game plan. I've got an idea of what I'm going to try and do. Did you have a target score in mind? Did you have any of that? Or were you just basically saying, listen, I'm just taking each 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 shot, each hole as they come? Yeah, just each shot as it comes. Um, for me, that seems to be the best way to go. Um, didn't really have a target number or anything. And it was just, let's play. Because like so often it's like, the round cannot start the way you want, but it can finish even better than you expect or vice versa. You know, you can start off hot and then it can kind of just get all funky and you just not really finish and take advantage of the holes that you should. So for me, it was just, we just play, we just play. Like this was going to be a great day of learning regardless, whether it worked out or didn't. And um, grateful it did. Um, and it came down to Sergio's putt on the last hole, which I couldn't watch. I, I, I don't want to be standing there wishing something on someone else so i just got away and then eventually the news comes that it was good enough so just amazing there are a lot of people that the team element of live they don't get it they don't understand it they think it's a gimmick they don't think it's real your experience of being on the iron heads this year um what did you like about it and what is the team part about it how is that different and helpful maybe in a way that you didn't think it's it's a special bond you actually like your team is like your your family in a way like the one thing i really loved about the Ironheads and kevin and his captaincy is he just he let us do our golf on our own like he he knows that we're all good enough and we he doesn't need to coach us and tell us what to do he just let us do our own thing which i really respect and i think that was great but at the same time he could bring it in and we could go and play games together and we could compete and, and and keep it fun and we went out for dinners we we hung out together it was you know obviously we a played, little bit like i'm guessing like college golf again a lot to yeah. where you're traveling kind of staying in the same hotels i mean to me that's one of been one of my favorite things about yeah. the experience on live which has been vastly different than the pga tour is yeah. it does feel a little bit live to me feels a lot more like when i started traveling in europe on the european tour in the early 2000s it was a traveling circus. Yeah. It was the same group of people. And you mentioned Asia is a little bit like that because you don't have this massive disparage of difference between the superstars and everybody else. Right. I mean, that's the thing in, in, in the US that people don't realize. In the PGA Tour, it's very different because the superstars, you don't really, if you're not a superstar, you don't see these guys. Right. Right. You're, they're certainly not on the same planes as you are. Right. They're not on, you know, whatever airline you're taking because they're either flying with all the other superstars private. So there's a big difference. And and I think the cool thing about live for, for, for me is it does feel like a, a traveling circus. Like we're all big, one big family and that part of it's fun. Yeah. It's so fun. Like we, we joke around together. There's internal jokes. And then when you feel another member coming and making fun of one, you're defending them. And so it's like, it's just an amazing atmosphere. And I think, I think it's really cool and special and, and it's it's a game changer 
because golf can be very lonely. You can, you can, you do a lot of things on your own. It's an individual sport. That's just the way it is. But um, this team thing just adds a different level to it. Do you watch, as you're trying to not watch your own score, are you watching the team score? Yeah. Watching how the team's doing, seeing, hey, how's Danny playing today? Okay, good. That's great. Let's, you know, let's see if we can help out or whatever. And um, that, that was something Danny talked about when he had his win in Arizona. He wasn't worried about himself. He was just seeing how the team was doing and we were moving up nicely and that fired him up. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's something else to cheer for outside of yourself, which is great. So 2024, do you reset your goals? Because obviously now you've had two full seasons on live. So you played all eight the first year. You played 14 this year. Um, you'll play a full schedule next year. The mindset of going into that first live tournament in London to where you get thrown in the deep end with DJ and and Phil and you're thinking, wow, this is way different. Is the mindset now, okay, I feel comfortable. Do you feel like, okay, 24 is my opportunity to say, okay, now maybe I feel like I can win. Maybe I feel like I can win more than one time. Is that the mindset moving forward? Do you, do you adjust based off of the two years you've just had? Yeah, I think overall, you know, there's still these big dreams and goals that I have personally um, from, from a golf standpoint. And so it's just about, am I continuing to move closer to those? Um, and I think when I stop trying to learn and get better, that's when I think my golf career is probably coming to an end. And I think right now I've just got tons of learning and, and growth to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to find ways to get better. I'm like this off season, I'm, I'm so excited for it. Like, I can't wait to, to see the changes that I can make going into next year. And um, I think just for me, just, I'm just trying to get better each and every day. You know, we can learn, we can grow, we can, we can find ways to improve. And that, that's what I'm going to do. Um, we, we do have some goals that we, that we would like to achieve. And uh, I think people would call that crazy, but I think I've got to shoot high, you know, I've got to shoot from stars. So We'll see where that where that ends up. Lastly, you you putt with the flag in. I have no idea how you putt with the flag in. Fitzpat Matt Fitzpatrick Fitz does it. Yeah, you putt with the flag in from every distance. Yeah, what I mean, Bryson. We've I've talked to his crazy ass about this as well. The rest of us look at that that aren't flag in putters and go, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> what is the thought process behind the flag in? I think it started in COVID when we had to leave the flags in. And then I started hearing some stats backing it up that you actually make more putts. And then I started to find that it, it was something smaller for me to aim at. And so aiming at the pin, smaller than the hole. And so it, it, it kind of locked in my focus a little bit I more. I never thought about that one. And so, okay, that one. Okay, that's the first. That. That's the first real answer anyone's <laughs> given me. Okay, all the numbers. Bryson tried to give me all that bullshit, yeah. and I was just like, you, "You're crazy." Right. But the focus from, and I would imagine from three, five, those short range right. putts, leaving the the flag in, it does give you an extra focus that you're just going to try and hit the middle of the the flag. Right. In the cup. Right. Do you worry about it bouncing it out? It's happened one time. But from what distance? It was a longer putt. It was like a 40 foot putt and it was 40 mile an hour wind and it just timed it perfectly where the flag was bending back. So it's only happened once. If it does get really windy, sometimes I do take it out, especially on the shorter ones. But I think, I think it's been good to me. So I'm going to keep going with it. Well, 
one of the cool things about talking to you and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is I think over the last two years, there's been a lot of divisiveness with regards to Live versus the PGA Tour and the fans and everybody feeling like they're getting pulled in, 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 in a lot of different directions. But I think one of the good, really cool, feel-good stories about what Liv has done has been your story and your journey for a guy that didn't really plan to 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 go to Liv. It kind of fell into your lap. You got an opportunity and you really, really taken advantage of this opportunity and it it has been life-changing for you. And I said this to you earlier today when I saw you, one of the cool things is when you walked in to the clubhouse in Jeddah, all of the players that had finished, all the caddies, everybody, everybody, when you walked in, stood up and clapped. And because they knew that you secured another year, that you can tell, you could, you know, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Your friends that you play with, that you know in professional golf on whatever tour you're playing, they're happy for you. Yeah. But I think one of the cool things was to see the response of, Everybody on live from player, caddy, and all the people associated with it, they were all so genuinely happy for you when you did what you did in Saudi Arabia and secured another year of, of playing privileges. To me, that was was something that was really cool. And um, I think everybody's really excited to see um, what you can do next year. And um, listen, with as hard as you work, and you're one of the hardest working people I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, you you put the hours in. And I like the fact that I watch you. I'm a I'm OCD. I'm a rule. I'm, I mean, I need structure and regiment. I take a lot of comfort in the fact that you and your caddy literally every week take up half of the putting green and it doesn't matter what the size is because you've got your process and your drills and you do them every single day. And I think a lot of guys, I remember saying to DJ once about the fact that there wasn't a lot of room on the putting green and stuff like that. But he said, you know what? I kind of like the fact that that kid does the same thing every time. So that process that you're going through, obviously it's working. Um, I've just never seen anyone set up that many stations <laughs> on a putting green at a professional event, but it's obviously working. Uh, congrats on a great year and um, you know we're really looking forward to seeing what happens uh, in 2024 Claude yeah appreciate it so that was Scott Vincent and like I said I think it's a it's a good story I think you know there were a lot of stories around you know what's happened over the last couple of years and I think everybody has been focusing on you know the money element of it and a lot of you know the war between PGA Tour and Liv and Whatever side of the fence you're on on that, you know, I think Scott talks a lot about you know the decision he made, how it's impacted his life, and he now has opportunities to play in tournaments that he never would have had opportunities to play in, and has an opportunity to play against a pretty strong field each and every week out on live. Um, keep an eye on him because I love the way he goes about things, and I like his game. And I'm excited to see what he can do in 2024. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. I know I took a couple of weeks off from the pod, had some technical issues, was on the road. But I put a question out on people that you all want to hear uh, for the pod. I'm going to do my best to try and get them. We've got some great guests coming up over the coming weeks. And um, thanks for listening. It's always fun. Uh, 
when I'm on the road, I get a lot of feedback from from people saying, listen, love the podcast. And that always makes me feel really, really cool. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. We will see you next week.